and welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, listed in 2020 as number eight of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional. I am your host, Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert and author of Business Evolution, Creating Growth in a Rapidly Changing World. I created Scale Your Sales Framework to develop leading edge capabilities to secure, retain and grow key customer relationships for long-term value and partnership. Join me each week to learn from amazing B2B sales and business experts and influencers. Tune in for actionable insights and strategies. Are you ready to scale your sales? My next guest is a woman in sales influencer founder and CEO of National Association of Women Sales Professionals.org. She is a LinkedIn top sales influencer, creator of Thrive, Strategies for Women in Sales. As the author of Reach the Top 1%, a strategic game plan for warrior women in sales, she is known for motivating others to feel confident, empowered, and brave. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Cynthia Barnes. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm heating up here. I think we've got a heat wave in, in the UK at the moment. Not that I'm complaining. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> We're at 90 degrees. So you'll be impressed by that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is hot. That yeah, is hot. That is. Hot. I love it. Love it. <laughs> so, uh, Cynthia, I, I'd love to find out how, how do you reach the top 1%? You know, and I know that you've written a lot about this and the key strategies. So tell me more about that. Well, it starts with being 100% honest with yourself and showing up authentically. There are so many times when in the sales world, we are taught, how can I say this gently, <laughs> taught a way of, of, of approaching sales that is based upon a male perspective. And if you think about it, traditional sales approaches were created by men for men at a time when men were, in, were the only ones in sales. So fast forward to 2021, those traditional sales approaches are still in play. So the first thing to reach for women to reach the top 1%, it is to make sure that we show up as our true selves with the empathy, the relationship building, and all of those things that women possess innately. And it's interesting. It seems that that is absolutely right for now coming through a, a pandemic there's a lot of talk around empathy as if you didn't need to apply that previously in sales and I, all of the women I speak to a lot of women interview a lot of women in sales that is one of the kind of cornerstones of scale yourselves we want to hear the voices of everybody in sales and their opinion and one thing they've said the key to the, their success is really listening to their customer and understanding their, their customer and empathizing with their customer and selling like they like to be sold to. And so they often said, which was consistent, although they had sales managers telling them and sales leaders telling them to do it in a certain way, they actually thought this didn't work for me and they started to do it in their own way. Yes. 
Yes, that is that is crucial. It takes courage to go against the status quo. Mm -hmm. I think it's worth it, though. I think it's worth it. I think when you go to your sales manager or sales leader and say, hey, I understand that there's the script. Um, it doesn't quite match my style. Would you be open to me implementing my style as long as I got the results? And I don't know any sales manager or sales leader that would say no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, tell me more about your organization and what you do, because it, you have quite a unique aspect in the way that you support um, larger corporates, along with supporting um, SME businesses as well. Yes, we partner um, with organizations and they send their employees to NAWSP to supplement the training and the professional development. We do that in a number of ways. Number one, we want to make sure that we have sales training and professional development sales approaches created by women for women with the emphasis on overcoming the unique challenges we face while amplifying the innate strengths that we have. We also have a robust community, um, several communities, depending upon what your needs are, where you can come in and get answers for questions that you can't get anyplace else. And lastly, it's the support in this, this day and age, in this topsy-turvy, ever-changing environment. It's more important than ever to connect with people who know your, know your challenges, can empathize with your struggle, and to help you through that struggle. I, I absolutely understand that, but you said that the um, it is to supplement the training they get internally. So what are the particular aspects that barriers that they may face internally that you help support them, them through in your training? The first one that comes to mind is that, that all-important scripting. A lot of times sales managers, through no fault of their own, will take the company's script and say, here is, a, for an SDR or a BDR, here is what you should say. So we hold master classes on, here is the end goal to get the appointment. Let's reverse engineer it and let you and teach you, SDR, BDR, woman in sales, how to influence your prospect or your customer in your authentic way. So we don't necessarily give you the answers because again, that's, that's the same traditional sales approach. What we want to do is teach you how to do it so that regardless of the situation, you can come up with an authentic process that is uniquely you and highly effective. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's another aspect to your business in terms of looking at the processes uh, organizations may may have as well. Do you, you do you advise companies? We do, we do. We help mm -hmm. them with the four pillars of a successful women in sales initiative, which are attracting, hiring, developing, and retaining women in sales. A lot of times, our companies will come to us and say, "Well, we'd like to attract more women in sales," and we say, "Great. What are what what do you have going on?" And they say, "Well, we've got." job board postings and we were promoting inclusive environments and I say well what about developing them and they say what do you mean developing them and that's where the normally the the missing piece is is in the development having training and professional development ERGs specifically for women in sales right 
So is there unique differences between women in sales and uh, women of colour in sales in terms of the training or the barriers that, that they um, may face? Are there, there things that you would tell the, di the distinct groups to uh, support them through their career? As a woman of color, we have, you and I have challenges that non-women of color don't. There are more similarities between those women than not though. And the number one is probably, in my opinion, the inner critic. For years, women of color have been told to do it twice as good, to be half as recognized. And while that was meant to motivate us and be a constant reality check, more times than not, it has told us that we are inferior and that we are not as good. So we've got to overcome that and say, you know what, I am just as good. I have to work hard. So does everybody else. But let's silence that inner critic that says, I'm not good enough, I'm too dark, I'm too light, I'm too tall, I'm, too, I'm not enough here, I'm too young. That inner critic, she needs to go in the back seat and we'll talk to her later. <laughs> but for right now, we've got things to, we've got to accomplish. Yeah, that's interesting. Like that, that inner critic is in the driving seat. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They're a backseat driver. Yeah, and that yes. reminds me of, but I remember... Uh, you know, a woman trying to be helpful um, uh, to me, uh, but, you know, white privileged um, woman saying, Janice, why do you work so hard? <laughs> mm. Like, you haven't got my life, really. There's so many more barriers right. that you haven't even conceived, really. But you're absolutely, I do remember my parents saying you have to work twice as hard. You have to be 10 times better. But the thing is, even if you you do, there is still no guarantee that, I mean, that doesn't give you a smooth path through. So it's, no, it, it, it is a bit of a challenge really, isn't it? When you see that you have to prove yourself so much more, even yes. now things haven't changed. So how no, do you haven't. reconcile the fact that, you know, in this world of inequality and you've got not only a woman, but you know, you, you may be a woman of color, so you've got so many more hurdles that you need to climb. You know that you have to prove yourself over and above everyone else. So you have to work over and above harder. But nevertheless, you don't really want that to crush you, you know, to overcome you, to, um, you know, as you say, the inner critic. How do you balance those two things? Because we are in the world we're in. Yes, yes, it is. It is a delicate tightrope balancing act. I think in my personal life and personally for me, it's, it comes down to balance. I know that I do a good job. I know that I am always striving to be so good that they can't deny you. That pressure that we put on ourselves, if it's not dealt with delicately, it can be overwhelming. It can lead to burnout. So I encourage everyone, yes, you can strive to reach the top 1% and make sure you have a tribe or community support system to help you get there. Also, you've got to have balance. Mary Kay always said, God first, family second, career third. Anything out of that order is going to lead to destruction. 
So when I look at my calendar and I say, okay, I'm going to highlight all of the things that are work-related in green because green is money. And then I highlight fun time and, and family time in yellow because that's sunshine and that makes me smile. If, I, if at any time I look at that and I'm unbalanced, I know that I'm eventually, if I keep up that pattern, then I will not be very fun to deal with and my emotional health will struggle. Yeah, yeah. I love that idea. I'm going to color code my my diary like that because you can just see in a glance. And you know, yes. you, and you, you know trouble is brewing somewhere down the line. Yes. Yeah, yes. I love that. That's a great, great strategy. Thank you for that. Um, so tell me more about whether diversity um, in the sales industry, do you think it has progressed enough? I know that you've got, you know, various this is something you talk about. I hear you talking about an awful lot. So some of the strategies, what your opinion is, has it progressed, what we can do? I was so hopeful last year because there were so many companies saying we really want to prioritize diversity. And then I would ask them why. And they would say things like, well, our competitors are doing it or this is what our customers expect. But not once did I hear because it's the right thing to do. So I started asking deeper questions of leadership and I asked the same question of higher ups. Why do you want to do this? Why do you want more women in sales? And the answers were, were pretty much the same. It leads to greater revenue. Um, there's an opportunity for us to change the hearts of those in charge, to encourage them, to influence them, to do the right thing without looking for the business case, without looking for the talking points and the bragging points in social media, on TV, we have an opportunity to do better. Yeah, yeah. And like you, I'm hopeful. I'm not optimistic. <laughs> because I think, you know, it's like, okay, I've seen this before, really. The, all of the websites suddenly start to change with images. But actually, yeah. what changes behind all, all of that? And I often yeah. ask um, leaders, unless you're your decision-making can reflect your audience of customers and the audience you want to attract, then actually nothing's really going to change at all. Mm -hmm. And although that, you know, but these are, are long-term measures that got us to this stage, so it won't be short-term, but you've got to start somewhere. And I believe um, that quotas is one way, not the only way, but it's a way I believe in if you want to move things, um, uh, is quite an important tool that you may implement for a period of time. I don't know what your view is on, because I know in America, they've actually much further ahead in a lot of the um, processes, whether it's federal governments or organizations, what they've actually put in place uh, a lot further ahead than, than we are in, in the UK from what I can see. So, you know, what are the actual things, the strategies, the things that you think organizations need to be doing in order to be 
starting to make that difference. Well, you've heard the expression, the fish rots from the head. And we can have all types of quotas and we can have all types of strategies implemented. But if you don't change the hearts and minds of those in leadership and get them to think about diversity, not as a must do, but as the right thing to do, and I want to do it, then nothing is going to change because you can implement a quota system. But if you're if your middle managers, your recruiting team, your talent acquisition just sees it as, well, it's another thing for me to do, they're not going to go out and fill their pipeline with diverse candidates and underrepresented populations. They're going to come back and say, well, there are none out there and I'm not finding anything. But if you if you instill the the passion and get to the get to them to understand that we that diversity of thought is important, not just diversity of demographics, and get them to understand that we we attract on similarities, but we grow on differences. And as a population, as a world, we ha- have a huge opportunity to grow, to be empathetic, to learn more about those that don't look like us, that don't share our beliefs. It's it's deeper than it's deeper than quotas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quotas yeah, I, are putting like yeah, put, yeah, like putting a bandaid on a stab wound. Let's get to the root of the issue. So yeah. there's got to be some training. There's got to be programs, and it can't just be a once a month book club. That's a start, but let's dive deep into the problem because you can't undo years and centuries of oppression, systemic racism, because it's inbred if in in culture. Yeah, yeah. I love that we attract on similarities and we grow on differences. That's a yes, that's, moment. Love that. Love yeah. that. That's courtesy of my wise father. My father is the wisest man I know. And occasionally in my keynotes and, and when, when I'm talking, his what words of wisdom just come out of me. Tell me more about your father. Oh, my gosh. Oh. <sighs> He is inspirational. He's he was he's tough still to this day on me. He's empathetic, sympathetic, compassionate. And he is he both and my mother and he are responsible for who I am today. Mm. I, I give them and God all the credit. They weren't perfect. They're not perfect. We are all flawed. And even with those flaws, they still made the sacrifices necessary to make sure that I lead and led a, a productive, balanced, emotionally stable life. Yeah. But at the time when they were coming up and the, you know, the decisions they made about how to bring you up and to instill you know, the core values in you, what do you think it was about them that enabled them to, to do that, to really focus on these are the core values we want Cynthia to have in light of the environment, civil rights movement, and you know, all of the injustices that was happening around them? Life was hard back in the 60s for Black Americans. And my father grew up in the Jim Crow era, separate drinking fountains. 
He was the first black boom operator in the United States Air Force, experienced tough racism. And I remember one day we were walking to the country club in his home in Georgia um, a couple of years ago. And he stopped the family and he said, when I, the last time I was here, the only way that I could have stepped foot on these grounds is if I was carrying wood for the heaters, for the boilers. And he said, now I'm a member. And we all paused, got teary-eyed and thought, this is a huge moment for him. Yeah. He sat me down when I was six years old, being in the Air Force and being from how he grew up. And this is the lens through which he, he lived. He said, Cynthia, I've got two things to tell you. Number one is you're a black girl. So you're going to have to work very, very, very hard to be a success in this world. There are some people that are not going to see your value and not going to see the value that you bring. It is your job. It is your duty to make sure that you are so good that they can't deny you. And then he said on a lighter note, he said, there are three types of people in the world. There are those who make things happen, those who wait for things to happen, and those who wonder what the hell happened. He said, if you are going to be a success in life, you have got to make things happen. So I took that advice and it's been an underlying current in everything that I've done. When I was in high school, my mother used to be a supervisor for a major automotive um, manufacturer. And as a supervisor, she was in charge of some parts um, and tools that were behind a locked cage. And one day she needed to go in that cage. So she unlocked it and went inside and her staff, the men, white men, locked that cage behind her. And then they put a sign on the door of the cage when her locked inside that said, don't feed the monkeys. And she came home and she told me that story and she wasn't teary eyed, but I was because I thought that is so mean. Mm. And as a teenager, it was mean. And that's all I could think about. Yeah. Now as an adult, I think about what my parents had to go through to put food on my table, to put clothes on my back, to pay for the books and the college tuition. I don't have an option to be anything less than my best. I don't have the luxury of saying, you know what? Mediocre is good enough. Too many people have sacrificed so that I can be successful influential and so that I can leave a legacy. Success is my duty. And I take that seriously. Wow. Gosh, thank you so much for sharing um, that. I know that's going to, you know, touch a lot of people's hearts and, uh, you know, it's an indication of, of what drives you and the, you know, all of your success and the things that you've done to actually support other people through, you know, your your organization and why it's so important. So, you know, I'll be putting all of your, your links in, in the show notes. So I really appreciate you sharing that uh, with us. So tell me, what is your tried and tested strategy to enable listeners to scale their sales? Tried and true strategy. Number one, most important most important is you've got to know your prospects and your customers like you do your best friend. You've got to do that. 
people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You've heard that tons of times. Mm -hmm. And in a world where the competition is stiff and people can look up and Google answers to all types of questions, your prospects are looking for someone to answer the questions that they can't Google. You can't get to that point with them until they trust you. You can't get them to trust you until you get to know them. It's not about you. It's about them and their needs. So find out, do you like dogs or cats? If you were stranded on an island, what three things would you take with you? Make the conversation enjoyable. Learn something new about them every time you're on the phone with them. Don't rely on email. Don't rely on texting. Have a conversation. Don't be lazy. Pick up the phone. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Okay, so if you're on a desert island on your own, what's the one thing you would take with you? I am so logical. I would take um, a satellite phone. Mm-hmm. I would take a boat. And I would take my puppy. Cynthia, I said, what's the one thing? Look, you know, like really, oh, what's the thing? Yeah. <laughs> what are you, you going know, on I, with, I, hey? <laughs> <laughs> and I know Twice you thought good. about this. You thought you I, would just slide in those three things, yeah. didn't you? <laughs> Let's see, the, the one thing that I would take, the one thing that I would take if I had nothing else, today, I would take my puppy. Yeah. I just got a puppy and it's amazing how you can't be stressed out or tense when you're petting a when you're petting a puppy. Yeah. You can't be stressed out and I've been under a huge amount of stress lately yeah. and she alleviates a lot of that. So if I were stranded on a deserted island, it would be me and my baby. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've got your puppy then. <laughs> I do. I do. Yes. <laughs> that's brilliant i uh, cynthia i'm i just say i'll put everything in in the show notes it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for being so so forthright and honest um i always love um talking to you cynthia you're you know um such a, a got a beautiful heart so thank you thank for you. being a guest on scale your sales podcast thank you for having me and for allowing me to be transparent and vulnerable and authentically me. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Scale Your Sales. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Janice B. Gordon, to comment and share. I'd love it if you would leave a review on ratethispodcast.com slash scale your sales. Please subscribe for more weekly expert insights to scale your sales.